0: Welcome to Schoolhouse Equity in Education. This is Allison R. Brown and I am your host. Today on Schoolhouse, we are talking about school segregation. Schools today are more segregated today than they were 50 years ago. Not only are schools more racially segregated, but students of color are more likely to be isolated in schools with few resources. And unfortunately, the courts have not made addressing these issues very easy. Today, we'll talk about a particularly disturbing case in Alabama, where a white community voted to, and so far has been allowed by a court, to secede from a more diverse school district. My guest today is Monique Lynn Luce, Assistant Counsel at the NAACP Legal Defense and Educational Fund. Monique has been a civil rights attorney, organizer, and educator, and I am thrilled that she has joined us for this conversation. Welcome to Schoolhouse, Monique. Thank you for being here.
1: Thank you so much for having me. It's quite a pleasure.
0: So can we talk first, Monique, about school segregation? There is a difference between desegregation and integration. What is the primary difference between those two things?
1: You know, they are sort of different in the mode, but not sort of the outcome and the goal. So desegregation generally describes the dismantling of what was a segregated school system throughout the United States that was mandated and supported and sanctioned by state and local governments. And so, when we talk about desegregation, what we're talking about is sort of post 1954 Brown versus Board of Education, uh, where the Supreme Court clearly says that separate can never be equal; it's always unequal, um, and that you know there's a constitutional right for all students to you know go to school on an equal and integrated basis. And so, the sort of work of desegregation has continued from 1954 to the present. Um, There are hundreds of open desegregation cases. These are ones where school districts who were found, to have been operating two different school systems or a segregated school system that have never proved to a court that they had fully uh, removed all of the legacies of the prior system. And so that's sort of when we talk about desegregation, we're talking about, generally speaking, talking about that, that sort of dismantling Now, integration, right, is the goal of of desegregation, right? So Mm -hmm. the goal is to have schools where students have the opportunity to interact with people that are different than themselves. And it's particularly important because, as the court said in Brown, public education is the very foundation of good citizenship. It is sort of the backbone of our democracy. And given sort of the persistent residential segregation throughout the United States, in many cases, schools... In many cases, the only opportunity for children to learn from each other, to be with each other, and to you know, sort of build the experiences that will allow our multiracial democracies to thrive.
0: As you said, in, in Brown versus Board, the court found unanimously that separate can never mean equal. And they took that from language provided them by. The Legal Defense Fund lawyers and Thurgood Marshall, Charles Houston, who had litigated until 1950 when he passed away, fed that language to the court. What was missing, though, in that opinion was the context, right? The why of that. Why is it that separate can never be equal in this country? And the roots of the huge disparities that we saw then in 1954 between resources provided for black schools versus resources provided for white schools. And those resource disparity, that disparity between schools that are still separate remains. Why is that? and how do we get to that context that the legal defense fund was really pushing for?
1: You're absolutely right. Um, in the framing of, of Brown, I think Brown does um, you know talk about brown misification. The court talks about the sort of the, the badge of inferiority. That is created by segregation. I think also the reality and why the Legal Defense Fund, this has been a a focus of the work here for the past 76 years now, from the times of Thurgood Marshall all the way to today, is the understanding that you just described, right? That resource equity, that having equal opportunities, it is facilitated by students being together at the same school. Mm -hmm. So it is not to say that we are supportive of racial integration in schools because there's something magical about white students, and if black students just sat next to white students, they would have greater academic outcomes. Rather, it's that by having sort of a collective public education model where students all go to school together, and the more that that is the case, the greater the chances are um, that those opportunities will be equitably distributed.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: You know, as long as communities and school systems are segregated, it allows for and it has shown itself to allow resource inequities and disparities and opportunities to persist. And so it's the sort of the way in which dismantling of segregated schools has gone on, has in a lot of ways is that, you know, the closing of the inferior schools that were designated for Blacks and then, sort of, the creation of schools that are created for everyone. Mm-hmm. One of the ways in which we determine if a school district has achieved what we call unitary status, it's resolved its messages. Of segregated systems, the way one of my co counsel always says, is like, if I go into a school, can I tell it's a black school, mm-hmm. right? And that's just a reality. You can go to it in some schools, you can go in and you can tell it's a black school because of the facilities mm-hmm. are run down, the faculty is all black, the students are all black, and it doesn't have the same investments that if mm-hmm. you were to go into the white school in the same school district, you would see the difference. And so what we look for is not just that students are in the same schools with each other, but that there's real parity and equity and opportunities, um, And that is just more possible when students go to school together and not when school districts or cities secede and mm-hmm. sort of hoard opportunities and resources for the few at the great cost to the many.
0: Let's talk about that, right? So Jefferson County, Alabama, this was your case, a case that you have worked on and I mentioned that schools are more segregated today than they were 50 years ago. We're seeing this trend of resegregation and white resistance to integration and to efforts to desegregate has been very strong since before Brown v. Board. It is still present and Jefferson County is one of the examples of that. What are the facts of the Jefferson County case?
1: The case name is Stout versus Jefferson County. This is Jefferson County, Alabama. So describe kind of the, the geography of it, because that helps for the context of what the case is about, Jefferson County is the county that surrounds and includes Birmingham, Alabama.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: It is the second largest school district in Alabama. It's got about 35,000 or so students, uh, about 54 schools or so. It is a large county school system, so it includes a lot of you know different types of municipalities, everything from townships to villages to small cities. It also includes areas that are unincorporated. Mm-hmm. So these are sort of folks that are, don't live in any particular city. They may have a name or, you know, kind of a community is, is known as something, but they're not incorporated as their own town. And so that's sort of the geographic landscape. The county, Birmingham has been a separate school system since uh, the previous century. And so the sort of Birmingham sits in the center of it and the county surrounds it. So it's a really big sort of geographic area because you know, the center of it is this actual city that isn't served by the county school system.
0: So the county schools is like a ring around the city of Birmingham.
1: That's exactly correct. It's a ring around the city of Birmingham. And so the towns around it, some of them are more rural. Some of them are very suburban. Mm-hmm. It kind of, you know, runs a pretty, a pretty big range of different sort of types of communities. You know, it takes a couple of hours to traverse the entire you know, school system to go north, south or east, west just given you know the size of it. There's also a lot of a fair number of what folks down there call mountain ranges. Others might just call them large hills. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are uh, some topographical sort of challenges with coal mines, iron mines, that kind of thing that sort of create sort of greater divisions where people live. But in that context, Jefferson County has been able to achieve a level of, of desegregation that's not complete. It hasn't finished all of its obligations. But in 1965, LDF representing a class of black parents on behalf of their children to Jefferson County in 1965. Should note that uh, 11 years after Brown versus Board of mm-hmm. Education they filed a complaint alleging that the school district was operating a spirited school system in violation of the Constitution and the decision of Brown and, and other subsequent Supreme Court decisions. And there was no real trial. They just, the lawyers took the deposition of the, the testimony from the superintendent, who just explained the facts on the ground, and the court sort of immediately said, yes, that you are operating a segregated school system, and you need to do something about it. Mm -hmm. For many years after that, uh, as the resistance that you described before to integration, to desegregation, you know, that was experienced all across the United States, the way that it it sort of presented itself in Jefferson County and in others is that school cities seceded. So to avoid having to have integrated schools. Because of residential segregation, mm-hmm. some cities that were all white could, under Alabama state law, mm-hmm. if they had 5,000 residents, they could just transform their own school system and completely pull out of the county. And so between 1954, and Brown versus Board of Education, up until 1970, over six school systems
0: This would be consistent then, Monique, with what we saw nationwide after Brown, which was public schools closing, private white academies opening. This is all part of that movement to essentially close off public education completely, since they were required to desegregate and to create some private avenues of support for white-only education.
1: The white academy that you described... Alabama state law was sort of constructed in a way or you know, in a law that allowed this sort of municipal school secession. And that was a tool that was used a lot in the state of Alabama. Mm-hmm. You know, it's since been clear that a lot of other states have the ability for cities to, to sort of separate from larger school systems and form their own school systems. But in Alabama, it's this sort of, there's a sharp parallel between those secessions as being a, not parallel, there's a, a clear connection between those secessions as being a uh, resistance to integration.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And it's state action, right? This is not, this is not, you know, private individuals just deciding they want to pull their children out and send them to private schools. Right. These are cities voting and taking education dollars that would have been shared. So in the case, and it's especially clear in this example of Gardendale. Mm-hmm. So before I get to Gardendale in the present, I should just describe. So because of these prior secessions,
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, these are school districts cities that have broken off from Jefferson County, it has precipitated quite a demographic shift in Jefferson County. So mm-hmm. the growth experienced by these predominantly white cities, separate school systems, has not been experienced by the county. And so Jefferson County has been left with less resources. And it's been left at this point, very sort of a, a pretty multiracial sort of balance. But the separate school systems, those that sort of have increased uh, the numbers of white students. So Jefferson County has not seen an increase in its percentage of white students, but the separate municipal school districts have.
0: Are there cities like Gardendale that have successfully seceded then from Jefferson County?
1: Absolutely. So the three most recent, uh, Hoover in 1988 and Leeds and Trustville in the 2000s. These are, however, what makes them distinct from Gardendale is that those were along with the edge of the county. Mm-hmm. So Gardendale, it's surrounded by county.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So it sort of takes, and it was, had a it's school, its high school in particular, we're serving students from a variety of different communities. It's a, it's a career and technical program that's sort of regional.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So it, it provides an opportunity for students that would otherwise go to hyper segregated high school the opportunity to sort of meet in the middle essentially at Gardendale and have a more integrated school experience.
0: And now if Gardendale moves forward with this secession then there just will be this hole in the middle of the county.
1: Correct yes because as as I mentioned earlier because Birmingham kind of sits in the center Mm -hmm. kind of works that like the county sort of divided into north and south by sort of a a mountain range, and by the city of Birmingham. Mm-hmm. So you can only, in order to sort of provide for integration, you know, you're really sort of limited in geography by the sort of Birmingham city in the middle. Yeah. So in northern Jefferson County, you know, Gardendale's removal will be—it'll be like a hole—and it will force, which was found, the court found, uh, that it will force students who are excluded from that school system to go to more segregated schools. Mm -hmm. And that's really, you know, what it's it's about, right? That this school separation, the school secession, will lead to further segregation Mm -hmm. and undermines the goals of this case that has been proceeding since 1965, slowly but steadily dismantling the prior system. You know, the county has had to deal with all of the, the constant changes of these school secessions And at this particular juncture, what we see really is an opportunity for a different outcome, right, to to sort of move in the the direction of further integration and not in the direction of resegregation. When you think about, you know, segregation, people often say it's sort of like, oh, you know, how do we get here, right? There's a moment people look up and someone writes news articles and reports and they say, oh, these cities, you know, they were once integrated and now they're all resegregated. What happened? Yeah. In moments like this with Gardendale, this is a watershed moment. This is an opportunity to make a different choice, which is what we asked the court to do.
0: I find the court's ruling very perplexing. Mm-hmm. The judge found that this effort at secession on the part of Gardendale City, secession from the county, this county that's kind of like a attire around the rim that is Birmingham, Alabama, that this city in its efforts to secede from the county was motivated by race, that they wanted to be an all-white system or a predominantly white system. So she found that, yes, this was motivated by race. The intent of the white community was to remain mostly or all-white. She also found that the white community had not met its legal burden to actually secede, but then she found on their behalf. My first question is just, what were some of the folks actually saying about secession that led the judge to find that this was motivated by race?
1: That's what's so astounding about this case, is that in 2017, this school district was found to have committed intentional discrimination, to intentionally be seeking to exclude black children from the school system. So Gardendale, to sort of have the, to separate, they have to sort of vote as a community to separate and form its own school system. Mm-hmm. And so in the process of that campaign for a separate school system, very racially hostile statements, mm-hmm. campaign materials were distributed that really represented a desire to, you know, maintain geographic diversity,
2: mm-hmm.
1: to be responsive to what people in the community described as like changing demographics, to keep certain students out one of the big sort of themes was that, as I mentioned earlier, there's other school systems that have broken off from Jefferson County over the years.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And so one of the themes is, you know, that was sort of presented to gain support for a separate school system had to do with this idea that if they didn't separate, then they would be like other communities who hadn't separated, but hadn't, who were once predominantly white, but are now predominantly black. Mm. And so this sort of idea that if you don't get out while you can, then, you know, your town will become predominantly black and no longer be predominantly white. And so it's a response to wanting to maintain sort of the white majority predominance in that community. Also a desire to keep for itself this $55 million state-of-the-art high school that was built with county funds, so paid for by everyone in the county. Yeah. A huge construction effort that went on, was put on by the county, and for the benefit of all students served by the county school system but they sought to take that school and not pay anything for it.
0: Wow. So this was the high school that you mentioned earlier that was intentionally constructed there in order to draw a more diverse student body.
1: It's like essentially located on like on highways, so it allows students to go there for career technical programs for part of the day.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But it was built inside the, the city limits, and if a school system separates, it gets to take with it the facilities that are in the city limits. And so it, it sought to take it without paying anything for it and exclude you know, initially excluding an African-American community that had been zoned to go to that school district to integrate it since 1970. Uh, Generations of students have gone to that school from that community, but they were not initially included in any plans by Gardendale, even most Smithfield Manor, where many of our uh, named class representatives come from, Mm -hmm. was a community that was not a part of, of what Gardendale envisioned for itself. So, you know, there were lots of Facebook posts. There also were a series of once the North Smithfield community was in- included in the plan, that and it was also done without any real regard for those African-American residents of that community. They were added without any consultation. They were added on an, what they described as an as a, uh, indefinite basis. But there was clear from testimony that as soon as there was no longer a court order There would be nothing to Mm -hmm. compel Gardendale Mm -hmm. to continue to allow that community of African-Americans to attend their school. And then they'd also be disenfranchised because they wouldn't be residents Mm -hmm. of Gardendale. They wouldn't be allowed to select their school board members or have any real say. They would always be sort of second-class citizens. And furthermore, it was done you know, without any, no community meeting was ever held by their superintendent or by the school board members from Gardendale in that North Smithfield Manor community. And, you know, the court took note of that, and our clients spoke about that, and they're concerned that they would always be treated differently. Mm -hmm. And then also the community of Gardendale, residents, you know, sent notes to the court and made statements to superintendents and at various meetings in public forums that residents of Gardendale, that they were unhappy that the residents of North Smithfield were being added because they were not taxpayers mm. and that this was a, a school, school that they were having for themselves. It was going to be their schools, our community, they called it, not for those other people. Wow. Perhaps one could even say sort of abstract idea of excluding African-Americans and, and sort of hostility towards having African-Americans in their community mm-hmm. uh, became even more explicit when a particular African-American community was added mm-hmm. to Gardendale based on their plan. Right. So that combined with the fact there was one African-American applied to be on the school board. She actually was put forward to testify by Gardendale because she had initially supported a separate school system for Gardendale. Mm. She uh, applied to be on the school board, which was selected by the Gardendale City Council, and she was highly qualified. She taught in Jefferson County. She was a professor of education. Mm. She'd been a principal in Jefferson County and you know was a real, I would say, education expert and could have added a lot to the school board she was not selected and instead put on what's called an advisory board, which has no power hmm. and makes, has no authority over Gardendale.
0: What is the racial composition of the Gardendale
1: board? An all-white school board, all-white city council. Mm-hmm. So when asked under oath, uh, Dr. Sharon Porterfield-Miller, I was asked why did she think that she wasn't selected? Did race play a role in that? And she said she thought that race did play a role and why she was not selected to be on the school board. Further, the school board selected a superintendent to be in charge of Gardendale Board of Education who had never in his 17 years as an educator, as a superintendent, a principal, and a teacher, had never worked with a black teacher.
0: What? Where had he, he been never working? Hired or worked in Alabama?
1: No, he'd been working in Illinois. But never with a black teacher? Never with a black teacher. Wow. never hired one and never worked with one in his 17 years. One of the things that Gardendale, you know, would have to do is, with operating a separate school system, it would inherit the desegregation obligations from from Jefferson County. So Mm -hmm. it would have to address issues like faculty and staff diversity. You know, they'd have to seek to have a diverse school system. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, this is the person they selected to try to take on that. And so, what the court found was that, you know, not only was there evidence Mm -hmm. that there evidence of intentional discrimination on the part of Gardendale and seeking to separate and was motivated by race. Also that the Gardendale had not acted in good faith. It did not really in, intend to comply with its desegregation order, desegregation obligations. It was trying its best to, to not be under a desegregation, you know, court supervision. Uh-huh. And then, you know, most importantly, they didn't meet their burden, as you mentioned before. Yeah, you know, the intentional discrimination was sort of icing on the cake. But the reality is with these secessions is that because it's being reviewed by a federal court and because it has an impact on desegregation, the real question is what is that impact on the county,
2: mm-hmm. and
1: will it it further or will it adversely impact the county's ability to meet its desegregation constitutional obligations? And what the court found and what you know incontrovertible is that Gardendale's separation negatively impacts the desegregation of Jefferson County. It creates a, a white enclave school system yeah. that's about 20% wider than the, the county system around it. It takes with it resources that could be shared. Yeah. And then I think one of the things that people said, this is about money, you know, to the extent that like, oh, they could just pay for the school and that resolves it. But it doesn't because, you know, the school is not just a facility, it's the opportunity for integration, and once you remove those white students, once you remove that sort of geographic location, that's an opportunity you don't get back, right? Um, You don't get back the opportunity to have not just the integration that is now, because it's a pretty integrated high school, Mm -hmm. but there was the opportunity for even greater integration is lost once those students are sort of siphoned off into a separate school
0: system. It's just perplexing. <laughs> you know, I litigated for many years at the Department of Justice in the Civil Rights Division's Educational Opportunities Section. And so, you know, we, we litigated often alongside Legal Defense Fund lawyers and, you know, many times in instances where the courts were not at all friendly to our positions and where we really had an uphill battle. I have never seen a case where the judge Gets it, right? I mean, her discussion demonstrates that she understands the issues, that she understands the legal position, and legally, everything was in order and in place for her to find that the Gardendale secession should not move forward. And yet her actual order was the complete opposite. How did she reconcile that and what could it mean for the schools in Jefferson County?
1: It is astonishing. I mean, we were flummoxed, shocked, confused <laughs> by the court's ruling. You know, this is a judge, a who cares deeply about these cases, mm-hmm. which is not something necessarily that we experience kind of across the board uh, with desegregation cases. Mm-hmm. But you know, she is a judge who is thoughtful, is deeply concerned about you know, equitable educational opportunities for African-American students. You know, we were, you know, very pleased and in agreement with her findings, particularly around the impact of the separation on Jefferson County Mm -hmm. on the additional discrimination and sort of the finding that she had the authority to address this issue. Mm -hmm. And so, total agreement with the findings, but, you know, very disappointed with the ruling, with sort of her outcome, with her order which allowed Gardendale to take with it two elementary schools and open up essentially what kind of seems to operate as like a trial basis of three years to show that they could operate in good faith and be committed to desegregation obligations. And then after those three years, they could you know, come back to the court and ask you know, to operate a through K-12 school system.
2: Mm-hmm. In
1: the meantime, Jefferson County and Gardendale were to negotiate out a fair price either for um, – Gardendale to buy the high school or for it to build its own. And so, you know, the court sort of devised the plan that we think is just not good enough because it doesn't really resolve the issue, right? When there is potential discrimination, when there is Mm -hmm. an impermissible effect of action, then the school system shouldn't be allowed to form. And the law is real clear about it from our perspective, and you know, sort of just principles of equity seem to require it. Mm-hmm. That if, if something that's been born out of discrimination, you know, shouldn't be allowed to move forward. And, you know, we feel strongly about that. And so LDF is appealing, uh, or the plaintiff on behalf of the plaintiff. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're hopeful that the court will reverse in part the court decision, is lower court decision.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I've not appeared before a desegregation judge that is any more committed to these cases than, than Judge Feigler. But I think you know, we just disagree, with sort of, the outcome that she, you know, proposed uh, because it allows, you know, discrimination to go forward. Yeah. Practically, one of the biggest concerns I had is sort of how can we ever sort of show again that Gardendale is not operating as it was intended to. Mm-hmm. Meaning, three years. There's only the stu- you know, two elementary schools. Three years to show that they could do better, but if there's no Students that I can encourage or plan that would have students, African American students, to attend Gardendale schools, but they've been found to be a school system that was formed to exclude Black students. The idea that that we would be able to, or that Gardendale would actually be able to encourage and get African American students to sign up to go to that school system, doesn't seem realistic to me. Mm-hmm. The fear that I have is that in you know three years, Gardendale can say that it tried,
2: yeah,
1: but it doesn't have to achieve the outcomes. It has to show that it tried not to be discriminatory and that could be enough, and then they go forward, and then we end up with the lost opportunities for integration, and we end up with greater segregation than we, we would have had otherwise.
0: For the people who are listening who you know, find this as outrageous as I do, and, and I know that you do too, what can community members do, both communities in Jefferson County but elsewhere around the country?
1: So I think one of the things that's been very interesting in the past several months that, you know, this case, just given the sort of the, the way the decision came out, and, and this case has gotten, you know, a fair amount of attention, and also is that there's been this amazing report by Ed Bill that talks about school um, secession across the country. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that, you know, it's been really interesting to for us at LDF, and we have a lot of desegregation cases, but these are ones that are outside of that. So these are, these are just communities where sections of it, uh, often predominantly white, often with more affluent seek to separate from, you know, a larger school system.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I think one of the things that is clear, and it's clear in, in the way that the, the law in Alabama is constructed, but this is clear in sort of the laws across the country and other states, is that there aren't any requirements to make sure that that is fair, right? That you're mm-hmm. just not left with more and more students who are just left behind. One of the things about the sort of separations in Jefferson County that I'm sure are experienced with these other separations across the country is that because Cities secede, they don't all line up, their borders and all line up with each other, and so you end up left with these pockets
2: mm-hmm. of
1: students that are in unincorporated areas that have to be served by a county school system. And so it ends up being this sort of archipelago where students have to travel long distances to get to the nearest county school. but They're passing along the way schools that used to be county schools but are now operated by separate cities. Mm-hmm. And that is the sort of inequity and segregation and separation that Brown talked about, right, that a student would have to walk past, you know, a white school in order to get to a black school. And what too often, I think, occurs with these secessions is the same thing, right, because students are going to be left behind. So what's really necessary is for, I think, moving forward is to really a real look at state policies across the country and what are the ways in which these successions are evaluated. Mm-hmm. Is it just a rubber stamp or are they really evaluated for their fairness and ensuring that, you know, students who are not a part of a city that's leaving, you know, don't lose on opportunities. Because if not, you know, I think what we have the, at risk becoming is just, you know, a, a further sort of segregation and inequity than we currently have.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And it'll just be carved out, you know, say death by a thousand cuts, you know, sort of be uh, resegregation by a thousand secessions.
0: I really want to repeat something that you said at the beginning of the show, which is that. Efforts to desegregate and integrate are actually not about the magicness, right, of white children or the the need for Black children to sit next to white children in order to be successful. It It is that resources in this country, given its history of the myth of racial hierarchy, the resources follow white children. And when that is true, then that means when they're are no white children in school buildings, then there is hyper segregation by race and by socioeconomic status. And children of color, in particular, then are cut off from opportunities to succeed academically and thus to succeed in life. And so I just want to be very clear that the Jefferson County case is one example of a larger movement and body of work that has been around for. More than 60 years at this point to really make sure that children of color have access to resources at equal number to their white counterparts so that they can have equal footing in education and beyond. Monique, thank you so much for walking us through the Jefferson County, Alabama case. And if you have not heard about this case, please look for it on the Washington Post website. There has been coverage extensively. In the local Alabama newspaper as well. Take a look and get caught up. Take a look at the Ed Build report that Monique mentioned as well. And thank you again, Monique, so much for being a guest on Schoolhouse. If folks want to find you online, what's the best way for them to do that?
1: I am on Twitter at mlinluse. L uh, i n l u s e. You should also go to the um, and follow uh, and the LDF uh, on Twitter. And on our website, www.naacplds.org, and our Twitter handle, the same, naacplds. And so, you know, there'll be more on this case uh, on our website, and then we'll be posting and also on other issues related to school integration and equal educational opportunities for all.
0: And remember that you can follow me at Allison R. Brown on Twitter and find the Communities for Just Schools Fund at cjsfund.org. Thank you all for listening. Have a wonderful week.